Tuesday, January 17th, market call, 30 minutes. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan. Now, if you see a grin ear to ear, baby, as they say, that's in no short uh, degree to my New York football giants making short work of the Vikings of Minnesota this past weekend. Lovely. I can't tell you on how many levels that makes me happy. That'll save for another show. Into Philadelphia on Saturday night. Ranger hockey last night, workmanlike effort, Dan. But this yeah. is Market Call, today's Market Call, brought to you by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. I like saying that. And our data provider, FactSet. Financial data and analytics are, in fact, powered by tomorrow. Dan, happy Tuesday to you. Uh, happy Tuesday, guy. It's great to be back here. I love the holiday shortened week. You know, it just mm. feels like, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of downhill most of the way. Doesn't it feel like, like that way? Like Franz Klammer. Hey, you know what's so real cool? And I know that you don't kind of get in the weeds on some of this stuff. So today, I think the only place that you can watch Market Call right now is on YouTube. So as the kids say, um, you know, if you're not subscribed, smash that subscribe button. Look at that. Jacob just put a little ticker down there below. You see that? You're looking down. Like you the bell icon. Yes. I, the, I, none I, of this I, makes I, sense to me, but it sounds good. I like when you say smash the like button. It's yeah. so... It's yeah. very like generation whatever if you're 19 you know years what? old. Can I generation. tell you what I also like? I like Tuesdays on Market Call because it's just you and me, buddy, and we just go back and forth. It's like a game of pickleball. That's a game that you're going to – I got to tell you something. That This was a really funny thing. Right before we were going on Fast Money last week, I think it was on Thursday, someone said the term pickleball. And got you unequivocally said, I will beat anybody in this place in pickleball. Yeah, I've never seen pickleball. I've never really seen it played, but I will beat anybody. And we're going to do – I think we should – like do something for charity or something like that. I'm 100. percent I, I tell you, charity? I said this, and I I I believe this. This is the arrogance of a 59 year old guy, Adami. You give me a month, yeah, I'll be the best pickleball player in the United States. I'll beat the shit out of anybody out. I'm just telling you right now. So yeah. if you folks out there think you got game, bring it on. All right. No, Don't I'm just, I'm just telling you. Don't it's bet like ping either. pong for old dudes. Ten years ago, when you were a 49-year-old man, you were challenged to run a full triathlon, and you did it, which is Damn absolutely straight. astounding. All right, let's get to the markets here. Um, I think this is a really interesting setup. Our friend Q, as you like to call him, Carl Quintanilla, yeah. he does a lot of work for us for Market Call, and he doesn't even know it. No, he's doing it for free. He had a little roundup today of a bunch of the strategists here. And there's some interesting stuff, guy. And I just want to kind of go through this. We quote Mike Wilson. He is the CIO over at Morgan Stanley here. We can just break this one. If we want to zoom in on Mike Wilson's call, you know, he had a very bearish call for most of last year. He went tactically long in mid-October, called for a 15 to 18% rally. He got it. Now he went the other way. And I think this tweet is really interesting. I want to get your take on this. We've been looking at this chart. We're going to look at it closer in a minute here. But Wilson's saying appears that we have simply rallied right to key resistance yet again until that resistance is broken convincingly. And we asked Carter Braxton Worth last week on Market Call, what would be a convincing breakout here? But until it's broken out convincingly, we see new reason to change our view of lower lows given our earnings forecast. His base case is $195 in earnings for S&P this year. His bear case is 180 Consensus is still near 230 guy. Listen, it's interesting if you look at the chart. I mean, it says Source Bloomberg Morgan Stanley Research. I only say that because that chart that 
Mike Wilson brought forth. I mean, that's effectively the same chart with the same lines we've been drawing for quite some time. And I'm again, I'm not suggesting Mike watches this, um, but we've echoed a lot of what he has said and thought. And here it is now in Morgan Stanley research. And forget about 195 because that math is too difficult. Let's just say 200 to make round numbers. Again, you know, the historic market multiple is about 17 or so. So, you know, even under his sort of mid case of $200 worth of earnings at a market multiple that's, I would I would suggest expensive in this environment, but historically the norm, you're still talking about a market that should visit 3,400. You know, we're not saying this to be perma bears, perma whatever. It just comes down to math at a certain point. So, you know, he was tactically got bullish. I believe it was October 23rd, if memory serves something around there. 14. That proved to be prescient. And, you know, he's saying now, he also made a tweet about House of Mirrors. You know, these bear markets really have you look in one way when you should be looking another way. The reality is, and he says this, trust your instincts, Dan, and my instincts suggest we're going to fail here. Yeah, so on the valuation front, City had a note out this morning, valuations much above current levels are unsustainable unless there is a significant change in the macro backdrop. For now, we suspect valuation could put a near-term cap on upside momentum. We are comfortable with 3,700 to 4,000 the SPX trading range. So we're at 4,000 right now. We're at that technical level. To your point, 17, we've been quoting John Butters. He's the senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. We look at his data every week. We preview it on Thursday's market call. And he's been saying we're basically in line right now with the 10-year average. So the question that you would have for me, Guy, is like, how do we trough at 17 times, you know, during this cycle with rates has gone up as fast as they have over the last year? I think the only, again, this is just my opinion, the only way that we trough at this 17 multiple, and I don't think it's going to happen, but if some magically, um, there's some magic out of the Federal Reserve and they're able to thread sort of this needle they're able to take their foot off the gas and valuations are not as concerning to people as they were when the Fed was obviously the, you know, pushing the envelope on this, getting inflation down to 2% mandate. I don't think that's going to happen, though. But that's the only real scenario I can think of where valuations don't further get compressed. And you know, it just comes down to, in a certain environment, you're willing to pay up for stocks. In a zero interest rate environment with uh, money being as free as it was, a 23 multiple, which is probably what we topped out at, wasn't all that ridiculous. As a matter of fact, Dan, I know you know this, Jerome Powell, when asked about valuations, and I'm paraphrasing, said in a zero interest rate environment, valuations really don't matter. Well, they matter now. And again, 17 is the norm, but we've overshot to the downside before, and I suggest we probably uh, do it again this time around. Yeah, no doubt about that. And and so then again, it brings us to this next tweet from Carl. This is the last one. CQ. Carl, thank you, for, thank you for all the heavy lifting here. Mm. Um, but this is BOFA. This is B of A. That's the Bank of America. Our outlook still includes a mild recession, but we now expect it to start later and come with a lower peak unemployment rate of 5.1%, given durability and consumer spending, strong labor markets, excessive savings, declining energy prices, and easier financial conditions. So interesting guy. That kind of speaks to what I think is a growing consensus right now, that a mild recession um, is in the cards, that the markets have already priced that in, that unemployment still where it is at three and a half percent. If it gets to five percent, um, you know, maybe that's not so bad because savings rates really good right now. And, you know, I, I mean, there's a whole host of things here, right? Inflation, the big one here, right? So inflation comes down hard enough and the unemployment rate doesn't go up 
fast enough or too high, then you have what they would say is a um, kind of mild recession. And again, what are markets pricing right here? That feels like what they're pricing. And so again, what are the conditions, guy, that would cause a worst case scenario? Getting down to Mike Wilson's $180 worth of EPS, that would be a, a longer um, recession with higher unemployment. 5.1% unemployment is light years from where we are now, just as a 2% rate of inflation is light years from where we are now. But I'll play your reindeer game. If, in yeah. fact, we were to get to, let's just say, 5%, what does a backdrop look like with 5% unemployment? By the way, and I've said this for a while, I think that's the goal here is to get the unemployment rate to 5%. But you know, what does it look like for corporate earnings? What does it look like? For margins, you know, what does it look like for consumer spending? To say that under that backdrop, it's going to be a mild anything, I happen to think that's a bit of wishful thinking. You know, again, levels or, or severity of recessions, they don't interest me all that much, nor does the term. Yeah. What interests me, though, what happens to earnings in this environment and what happens to margins? And I would suggest they can continue to contract. And again, going back to that first slide that we put up there, how much are you willing to pay for those earnings under that backdrop. So a 5% yeah. unemployment rate, I mean, that's what they're targeting. And they're hell-bent on getting it there. And I can't believe that something doesn't break on the road to 5% unemployment. Yeah, so Senator Geary, he's always in there in the comments Love section. Geary. Uh, he has, is he in there now? What is yeah, he saying, Geary? But, you know, he had a comment about the dollar weakness. Mm -hmm. It's going to be good for corporate earnings. And, yeah. and, and again, I agree with that. On the flip side of that, to your point, though, Guy, is that the wage growth, the wage stickiness that we've seen is is on the flip side of that, right? So that's going to kind of weigh um, on earnings a little bit here also. So there's a lot of things that might be canceling themselves out. And again, we make this point all the time is like, you know, the idea that you're going to have a trough earnings multiple in the low teens kind of match up with trough S&P earnings estimates at that time is not particularly likely. And that's just the story of markets is the story of the economy. We're going to have a lot of stuff that are going to kind of balance each other other out. But at the end of the day, um, you know, when push comes to shove, I, I really think that there's so much weighing right now on the Chinese reopening and, and what that means for the economy and the, the global economy in the back half of the year and what that might cancel out as far as weakness in the U.S. or in Europe. But again, that's uh, that's a that's a sticky conversation here, man. And, you know, it's not one that you and I yep. um, have the answer for. Let me jump in real quick. I mean, I think, again, obviously a weaker dollar is going to at least that head Headwind is going to abate a bit, but on the back of a weaker dollar, you know, what is, you know, what are, what, to your point, what's happening to other things? And it's interesting. Ken Goldman just sent something, put this up, and it says, only my opinion. I say that all the time. It's only my opinion. Whose other opinion would it be? Nobody's. But the reason I do that, Ken, is to illustrate, you know, it's, it's exactly that. It's just my opinion. The people out there that speak with absolute certainty are completely full of shit. So, you know, I, I put it out there as my opinion, just so people understand. Now, I don't speak with certainty about anything, nor does Dan. The people that do are the ones you got to be careful of, not the people that are just putting their opinions forth for you. Anyway, back to you, Dan. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, okay, uh, here's one that I thought this was interesting. Jessica Menton, this is a good tweet. Bofa's uh, largest fund manager survey, or latest, excuse me, mm -hmm. fund manager survey. Investors are the most underweight on U.S. equities since 2005. And so, you know, just say this, you know, and I just made this point on our Fast Money Call guy. You were not on it. I don't know what you were doing, but we do that every day of the show at 1230 with our producers, our co-panelists, and, um, you know, and the host, the, the illustrious Melissa Lee. What do you call her? Melms. Melms. That goes uh, way back. You no, know, that's way old school. I mean, I'm the only one. There's certain nicknames, though, that I'm the only one that's really allowed to put that's forth. Fact. 
that's a fact. Um, uh, you know, but but the point that I was making is like last year, at any point, you could have looked at your main facts page, right? I have a few hundred stock tickers up there, and I have you know the price, I have the the the, the change on the day, I have the percentage change on the day, and then the percentage change on the year. And if I looked at that, my main board, okay, I could have thrown a dart last year, and it would have landed on a stock that's down 30 percent on the year. Okay, now just three weeks or less than three weeks into the year, I do that same exercise and I throw a dart and I'm going to use one of those darts that has a suction cup. I'm not going to use an actual dart. Okay, mm. guy. And it's going to land on a stock that's up 15, 20, 25%. It's out of control. I mean that sincerely. So what's happened in such a short period of time, I think speaks to this BOFA survey about investors being under invested and a little bit of a chase here. I'm not sure this is sustainable here, guy. So what I take away from this, I mean, you explained it really well. So I think people will read this tweet and say, well, that's bullish. If the if if managers are most underweights in the last 17 years, it stands to reason that that's bullish. And I think in the aggregate, that's probably true. The problem is how long can this last? I mean, it does not necessarily mean that the market's going to go ripping higher and you're going to have this chase of people that are underweight equities. In fact, being underweight equities might be the proper position to have. So I think some people will take this and say, well, most have been underweight in 17 years. By definition, that has to be bullish. My pushback would be, yeah, at a certain point, I guess that's true. But in the terms that we're talking about, the duration that we're talking about, not necessarily, this actually might be the right course of action. Yeah, fair enough. All right, listen, you know, in that chat, and we do keep a comment, uh, we keep an eye on those comments here. DJ Chapman said he <laughs> smashed, he said he smashed the subscribe button, guy. He just said smash. So so please subscribe, guys. We're going to focus on YouTube here. We just feel like it's the best platform for this content here. So um, we're going to be tweeting out the links. We're going to be putting them on our other socials here, but we want to build this channel. We want to build the community right here. All right, guy, you mentioned that chart that was on that, um, that Mike Wilson report. Yeah. And one of the things that I find so interesting about Mike, he's been on our podcast on the tape. We had one two weeks ago with Mike. So go check that out in your favorite podcast store. Um, but one of the things that, that has always impressed me about him, Guy, and I've known him since the late 90s, um, is his ability to use multiple inputs to arrive at you know his market thesis. So he uses fundamentals. He uses quantitative data. He uses technical analysis. He talks to a lot of really smart people. And so that chart that he put in there, he is right. Just look at it here, man. You know, we drew the line. We've been drawing this line for the last year or so. That 200-day moving average that the S&P is above right now, but it is contending with that downtrend. You would say that is some pretty key technical resistance. And to Mike's point is that what would it take to be convincingly above that downtrend line? And it would basically probably have to get back to those highs from October and then kind of make a move towards those August highs and really start to base a little bit. I think the August, I think to be convinced if th that something changed, um, those August highs, which got us up to, I think, if I want to say 4280 or thereabouts. And remember, it was in July or in middle of June that we thought you could see one of those mind numbing rallies on the back of a couple of things. If you remember that June 15th, 16, the VIX was about 34. We saw a couple really wacky intraday moves uh, that week. And we suggested, Here's your opportunity to play the market for a bounce. And that's what we got. I only bring that up because that's the level that I think people would be sort of earmarking. If we can sort of get there, maintain it and build from it, 
then maybe something's changed in the world. The problem is, of course, I just don't know what the catalyst is going to get us there. But since you asked the question, that to me is a level sort of somewhere between 4250 and 4300 where things may have turned for whatever reason. And if things have turned for whatever reason, it could be for a number of different factors, uh, but none of which I see coming to fruition in the environment that we currently find ourselves in. Yeah, so here's Matt Kay. He he uh, hits us with, it's all maggot dragging down mm. industries. That's Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, um, and Tesla. And Tesla's up 7% today. It is notable that Google is down 1%, Amazon down 1.5%, and Meta down 1%. Um, and then the Microsoft is basically under, unchanged, and Apple's up nearly 1%. But on the year, I think the underperformance in some of those names is definitely interesting um, to note. Some of those names have acted um, pretty decently, though, um, off those lows, Amazon up 15%. Google's down, or Google's only up 3%. I do think that's interesting. Google's lagging. been, a, it's incredible. I mean, I don't want to get off the rails here, but yeah. the Google's really lagged um, for quite some time now. It's just something to watch. It makes you wonder, yeah. um, you know, what's going on under the surface there. And somebody brought this up as well, Dan, and it's interesting because we talked about it on our podcast that dropped on Friday in your favorite podcast store, but the, the, nobody seems to be talking about the debt ceiling yet. And maybe the market's starting to get whispers of it over the weekend. We sort of heard some ramblings. And, you know, one of the things I put out there and posited to Danny Moses, who is obviously the third uh, component of the on the tape podcast is, you know, what does it look like? And I thought there's a real chance for a very vocal minority in Congress to sort of hold the economy hostage in the form of the debt ceiling. And, the market's not going to like that. So you're looking for not I don't want to say a black swan, but you're looking for a down catalyst. It could come in the form of the debt ceiling without question. Yeah. So and in, in, in I, I don't disagree with you. I don't know how to play it right now, but I think the higher we go into earnings season, you know what I mean? The better the I think the shot on the short side is to to kind of make for uh, you know for a play for at least unchanged on the S P or maybe on its way back to thirty four hundred as we talked about. One thing that's interesting when you look at the Nasdaq futures though here, guy, um, you know they're just a lot heavier the NDX, the Nasdaq mm-hmm. one hundred, and a lot of it has to do I think with that maggot um, that that uh, our friend just pointed out here, Mr K. And when you think about how much closer it is to its October lows, that's why we focus on the Google, the Amazon, the Microsoft, um, and the Apple here. So their earnings. Are all going to be clustered um, the last week of this month, and that'll be interesting. I want to point towards the VIX here, guy. It is kind of melting, and you know we've kind of mentioned this on many occasions. When you see this thing as a teenager over the course of the last year, it has been a great opportunity to sell stocks. What would be different about the VIX, the volatility readings right now, as we've gotten out of the gate? The S&P is up 4% of the year. The NASDAQ is up 5.5% of the year. We're going to get to the bulk of earnings, S&P earnings, in the next couple of weeks. What's different? Why, why, why should the VIX continue to melt here? Or are we about to see this thing retake that uptrend and maybe make its way back towards its 200-day moving average somewhere in the mid-20s? It seems as though people, um, the complacency that's manifesting itself in a VIX that's now, to your point, a teenager, is really interesting. And I think what the VIX is saying, and, and this is just, again, my opinion, is that, the, that we're calling BS on the Fed. The Fed's not going to be able to continue down this path. And at some point, they're going to acquiesce. And that's when you're going to see the trough in the VIX. In the meantime, I think people are trying to get ahead of that, which is the reason why I think the market ran, but that move in the VIX on Friday or Thursday, whenever it was, and when it traded down precipitously, maybe it had something to do with the long weekend. I don't know. I mean, to me, that does not suggest a bullish environment quite for quite 
far from it. I think, uh, to your point, when the VIX has gotten down here over the last 18 or so months, this has been a level where you're not buying stocks. You're looking to sell stocks in the same way that when the VIX gets up to sort of 34 or so, that's not the time to be selling stocks. It's time to be buying stocks. So just keep an eye on this. Yeah. I think you're going to have one of these weird days in the VIX where the market does not a lot and you see the VIX move up precipitously. And that, to me, might be a signal that a short-term top in the equity markets is in. Yeah, you know, it's also interesting. Let's let's look at the 10-year um, yield here. And so when you think about where we are, we're just bouncing off this uptrend that's been in place over the last, call it, year or so. We're still above that 200-day moving average. And, you know, when the, when, the, when, when the VIX is down where we've talked about, we've also seen yields come down, right? So market participants get, I think, a bit, at least equity market participants get more complete towards equities when yields are lower. And that's reflected in that VIX here. And I'll just say this, our friend David Rosenberg at Rosenberg Research had this comment in his morning note. The market is now pricing in nearly 200 basis points in cuts between, you ready for this, June 2023 and December 2025, guys. So, so, so halfway through this year, for the next year and a half, okay, the Fed fund futures are pricing in a 200 basis point cuts. Now, you've made this point on many occasions. It would probably not be a great scenario for why they would start to have to cut at some point this year. But Rosie makes a comment, both the bond market and the stock market can't be right. And our vote is with the former. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that, because if yields were to go down, what is the stock market going to be telling us or what, how is it going to be reacting, I guess? June is not that far from here. And, and to think about an environment where they start lowering rates this summer, or let's call it the fall into 2025. I mean, what's going on? You know, what's the backdrop for them to lower rates? So I think people will read that and say that's got to almost by definition be bullish. The Fed's job is done, the lowering rates again. But to me, it would speak of something's broken and the Fed's coming to the table to sort of fix what they probably broke in the first place. So I don't think that's necessarily a bullish thing. I love this, by the way. Put up this quote by Nasso Nasso K. Dan, you are the best. I agree with that. Adami is full of talk. That's probably true. I get paid to do that. Adami is and has been the weakest link of Fast Money Show what? since the beginning. I appreciate that. The beginning, by the way, is uh, 16 years ago. So thank you, Nasso, for your opinions. <laughs> I, I respect that. Anyway, back to you, Dan. You know what? Listen, Nasso, I respectfully disagree with you. Um, this guy is not only is he like one of the most, I mean, he started in the business. He has seen more bear markets over the last 100 years of his career. He's navigated them all well. He's worked at some amazing institutions. And for him to kind of step off that trading desk and do what he's done for 16 years and talk to the people and demystify some of this stuff, you know what? It's one of the reasons why I wanted to partner with you in this endeavor here, Guy Adami. Two so, years in, more than two years Nasso, in. Now, so stick it out, buddy. I think I think you got to see you got to see Guy Adami. Shine no, I appreciate that. And look, I'm sometimes, you know, I what I try to do is make this stuff accessible, and I try to do it through the lens, maybe being humor or glib at times. But yeah. you know, trying to demystify the word you chose to use. I mean, it's not as easy as you people would think it is. You know, we've tried to take some of the um, intimidation and some of the obscurity and the True. arcane talk of markets and make it accessible to people. So if I do it in a way that's offensive, I apologize, but trust me, I'm trying to help. Anyway, back to you. Yeah. Um, somebody said, I think uh, Mr. Patel said, get a room guys. All right. Well, we have a room. It's called our, our, our this is what we're doing here. All right. Let's, let's move really quickly to the CME fed watch tool. We've been watching this 
very closely. Our friends over at CME, they track basically what Fed funds futures are pricing at the next FOMC meetings. You can see that it's a near certainty right now that at the Fed one meeting, the Fed will raise by 25 basis points. That comes after four consecutive 75 basis point hikes here. This has been the fastest rate of increases, I think, since what, the 30s or something, guy, or something like that. So, um, And then when we look to the March meeting, um, it's also a very high likelihood of another 25 um, basis point hike. So the Fed funds rate is going to be at that 5% rate. Listen, guy, there are plenty of people out there who think plenty of very smart people, strategists, market participants, who think that the Fed's going to keep going, that they're going to overdo it on the upside the way that they always overdo it on the downside. Thoughts on that? I think that's right. I think there's a credibility aspect behind that as well. They've been, again, this is not me bashing. I mean, this is factual. They've been, they've been wrong so many times now where I think they probably understand they're going to overshoot, but I think the danger of stopping too soon and then having inflation come yeah. roaring back is something that they're more scared of than potentially overshooting and causing the probably what they want, the the outcome that they want, which is a recession, which is higher unemployment. So I'm sort of with you. And if you listen, the more they stay dogmatic in their rhetoric, the harder it is for them to, I think, to back away from them. Because again, to that earlier word, credibility comes into play. And there's an interesting mind, a question, by the way, by Greg. I'm going to read it real quick. Question. If people didn't care about PE being high for years, why would they care now? Well, they correctly didn't care, Greg, because interest rates were zero and basically cash was free. I mean, the balance sheet of the Fed went north of $9 trillion. So there was really no reason to care. And we talked about that for a long, long time on Fast Money on Market Call as well. We pointed out that valuations were ridiculous, but in a zero interest rate environment, valuations did not necessarily matter. I would submit reason why people care now is because the interest rate environment has changed and obviously the price of capital has changed. So valuation should come into consideration, Dan. Yeah. So guy, I'm just going to rip through these really quickly. I'm sorry. Rip, rip, rip. Maybe you'll just give me a comment because we want to try to be thoughtful of people's time here. Crude oil picking its head up a little bit. It got above Mm. 80 here above that downtrend. So I've been saying that it acts like unholy death here. Let's see if it gets rejected at that downtrend and makes um, another kind of run towards those kind of mid to low um, 70s, if you will. And again, that would certainly get a lot of investors' attention if we started to see if the implications or the thought that the Fed might pivot at some point mid-year, you've been saying this, that we're going to see that reflect itself in commodities. We've also started to see it in gold. And I think you may a really strong case here last week on market call i made a defined risk bearish bet using gld options um, put spreads looking at february expiration that's been wrong i'm gonna have to cut my losses really quickly but to your point gold's been picking its head up and then the dollar is collapsing all those things are kind of related give me your thoughts on on that little um what would you call that would that a pastiche would that be a pastiche, pastiche? i like what you did mosaic, there i mean mosaic, that was a mosaic a pastiche mosaic. Yeah. Well, gold's not having a good day today. So, but let's just, but to you, go back to the gold chart real quick and take a look. I mean, it has been obviously following this pretty significant uptrend, albeit a steep one. That what concerns me, and obviously concerned you enough to put that position on, is you know the the farther we get away from the two hundred day moving average, the more inclined you believe we're going to have some sort of mean reversion thing at some point, which we've seen a number of times over the last year, year and a half. You know, I still think, and I've said this for a while. The amount of gold that central banks have been buying, at some point, it's going to manifest itself in the price. And you're starting to sort of see whispers around that and sort of inklings that that's the case. But, you know, it's been a tough slog. You go back to that. Not that I want to go back to the crude chart, but, 
you know, the crude chart, that downtrend that you drew is definitely starting to break to the upside. If we have a false breakout here and we f- we fall again, if you see 75 WWTI over the next week or so, that does not augur particularly well. The only thing that encourages me here on the crude side of things is the fact that a lot of these oil service names are doing so well and these big cap energy names have done well as well. So I think this is an environment where the equities might be leading the commodity. But then again, what do I know, Dan? Well, you know a lot here. And so here, that that's a great segue here because this is really, we're going to throw up this next little picture here. This is how we're going to get into the bank stocks because, you know, this is this is, oh. an, this is like an homage to you. you know, right? By the that, way, yeah, that's, I love that. Who did, is that Rafis or is that you? Yeah, it's, it, Rafis has never seen the movie, but whatever, we're working on that. That's, that is, tr- by the way, that's Martin Scorsese's mother, that woman. I mean, that's just fantastic. Isn't yeah. that great? So, 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 so listen, if you don't, I mean, listen, uh, many of our viewers, you know, Goodfellas, we quote it a lot. I mean, get to know it if you haven't here, but you know, again, this is uh, one dog goes one way, one looks the other. What do you want from me? And that's what's going on in these investment banks here. Morgan Stanley, <laughs> I, as we are talking right now, is up seven and a half percent versus a Goldman Sachs, which is down nearly seven and a half percent. Both reported Q4 earnings and had very different quarters. And I just look at this Morgan chart. I mean, that thing, you know, broke out. I mean, like, look at that. I mean, that is a beautiful technical breakout. I think the results were really good. I think a lot of people lump that in Goldman Sachs in the non-money center bank category, but they're kind of different investment yeah. banks. And they have a lot of similar capabilities when it comes to capital markets, but but some other things. And then, guy, the flip side of that, look at this Goldman Sachs chart here. And just that one-day move taking out a week and a half performance, maybe it should have never been where it was, you know, to close the week last week. But again, pretty strong. Dark. And 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 so I guess the question I have, what do you want from me, buddy? Talk to me. Yeah, no, I love that. That guy looks like someone we know, by the way, De Niro's genius yeah. in that movie. Yeah. Well, it speaks to the fact that we and you brought this up a long time ago. You know, Morgan Stanley is in three very distinct, very profitable business and they're doing it really well. And, you know, that sort of advisory business, that asset management portion of Morgan Stanley really has been killing it. Whereas Goldman Sachs, you know, they've tried to foray into things only to really see them become unmitigated disasters and they're starting to pay it for it. Now, this was, I will tell you that Goldman quarter was shockingly bad. Obviously it's, you can see that in the way the stock is trading today. But with that said, now you have to ask yourself the question, where's time to get back in? Do we go back to the 200 day moving average, which is probably what Dan, like three and a quarter or thereabouts, or, you know, do we hold this sort of looks like, you know, past resistance becomes support. So not a good quarter. Morgan Stanley is proving itself probably to be uh, the better institution right now, given the landscape. But uh, I think that was a great picture you brought up. One dog's looking one way, the other. What do you want from me? I mean, yeah. that is just that's perfect. Well, I, I, and I know you're an alumni at Goldman Sachs, and I'll just I say am. That. No, 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 and I know, and and I'm just going to say this, like, I've been in this business for 25 years, and, you know, they've had, they've been up on the mantle uh, the whole time, and it's not likely to change anytime soon, and I saw some people being snarky um, on the Twitter about David Solomon, the CEO of the company, who took over a few years ago for Lloyd Blankfein, and they were putting pictures of him as DJ Diesel, he is a DJ, and I've seen him DJ um, on a couple of occasions, and people are saying, well, you know, 
you know, if that day job doesn't work out, you still got the night, you know, like all that stuff. You and I talked to him actually at a CME event last May. We interviewed him in front of a bunch of CME's clients. And I got to tell you, you know, it's easy to be glib about somebody who has a CEO job of a large financial institution, global, that sort of thing. And you always have a target on your back. I thought he was very thoughtful Mm -hmm. and I thought that he was very honest. um, And I thought that he did not give us any indication that anything that, that the next year or two was going to be anything other than challenging to run that business, but also in the sort of economy that we're going to be faced after the last few years that he navigated that bank through. So again, I think you probably want to give a guy like that the benefit of the doubt. I think you want to give Goldman's culture the benefit. I'm not saying to go buy the stock here, but that's just my two cents. I'm curious, your take is someone who who kind of lived that culture at Goldman and you kind of, you you started in a very difficult time and and probably faced, you know, good periods and bad periods while you're there. Well, you know, I was predisposed, and I'll say this, I mean, you know, I know he's not watching, but I'd say if he was, I was predisposed not to like David for a myriad of different reasons, not least of which, you know, he was not raised in Goldman Sachs. You know, he came over from Bear Stearns. So for me, that was sort of one strike. The the DJ thing was strike two. But then if you start to think about it, the first part was my arrogance without question. The second part, people are entitled to enjoy themselves on their off time. And you know, too often, you know, we castigate people for working 24-7. I mean, here's a guy that enjoys doing it. It's something that he enjoyed in college, and he's enjoyed it throughout his career in terms of being a DJ. I say good for him. In terms of the culture, the culture is still there. And to your point about him being thoughtful, you know, I brought up a statistic. You know, I think I mentioned to him the book value of Goldman Sachs, and I rounded it up um, to, I think, like 285 or something. I'm just throwing numbers out. I only mentioned it because he actually said – no, book value is actually, you know, 285, 75. So he and I didn't we didn't talk about that question or that comment prior to. I bring that up because the guy is pretty focused. So they'll navigate it. There's going to be an le- entry level. You know, if you want to go back to the chart real quick, it probably comes in the form of the 200 day moving average, which is I think is 325. But there's still a lot to like here. This quarter was a disaster. My sense is it's going to be a one off thing. Yeah, just lastly, I mean, again, some of the things where they do so well, it's a really hard market for that. And it's really kind of hard to see that picking up anytime soon. But, you know, if there's going to be an investment banking comeback, you know, IPO, M&A, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, trading, uh, maybe a bit better trading in, in a more reasonable environment. I mean, Goldman's going to be there. So, again, I, I think you're right, Guy. That 200-day moving average is also the midpoint of that one-year range. Um, you know what I mean? And if you were looking for a name like that, it could be a good level to start to dollar cost averaging. All right, the last thing I just want to uh, highlight before we get out of here, because the Bitcoin futures, they trade on the CME. And, you know, it's interesting that, you know, they they launched um, on the CME in December of 2017. We don't have the chart that goes back that far, but you know where Bitcoin was? It was about 20,000, okay? So we just saw Bitcoin hanging around. You said this uh, on many occasions over the last couple of months. You were surprised given the sentiment towards crypto in general, the FTX thing. I mean, the list goes on and on and on that Bitcoin wasn't lower, right? That it wasn't basically trading at 10,000, which on a chart was a level, maybe in a multi-year chart where you could say, all right, it should go back there. And it kind of hung in there in the mid-teens and it just made this big move. And I just think it's notable. It's a 400 billion market cap right now and so i think it's notable thoughts here and, and and is it related to the move in the dollar and what we've seen in gold of late i you know this i think part of it has to do with china i read a little bit over the weekend i mean some things happening in china apparently created a bit of a tailwind for bitcoin number one and to your point about i was surprised and encouraged the fact that bitcoin didn't subsequently take the next leg lower on the back of ftx one of the points that i made um 
maybe not so eloquently, but what I tried to say is an indictment of the exchange that something trades on is not an indictment of the underlying asset or security that trades on it. In other words, you know, if something were to happen with the London Stock Exchange or the London Mercantile Exchange, for example, it's not necessarily an indictment of lead futures, the same way FTX was an indictment of the underlying uh, asset, that being Bitcoin. And the fact that it's bouncing here is interesting. I think people will look at this and say, here's an opportunity to sell the bounce against the 200-day moving average, which is still in decline, and that's probably going to be the case. But at least for a couple sessions now, Bitcoin is raising its head. And yeah, maybe it has something to do with the fact that, again, a lot of ramblings out of central bank, the Bank of Japan continues to sort of be making headlines out there. I think a lot of central banks are just putting and pushing buttons frantically. We'll see how it shakes out. By the way, the Nas, I know we got to get out of here, Dan. I just yeah. want to bring this up. I worked for John Mulherin. A lot of people don't know who he is. I will tell you that John Mulherin, for you people that want to read history books, he was a guy that was going to go basically uh, shoot Ivan Boski. He had a car full Jeez. of guns. His wife actually called the cops on him. He went to jail. He started a firm called Buffalo Partners, I believe. And our code name for him was 24601, which I believe was the prison uh, number of the guy from um, what's it, what's it, what's that French thing? Les Miserables. Les Miserables. Anyway, back to you, Dan. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. Here's the deal. We're gonna get out of here. We went late today. We had a Sorry, little. Sorry, that's on. No, me. We, had, we had pent up content. We did not do market call yesterday, guy here. But if you are in this room right now and you're watching this on YouTube, because that's the only way you could do it, hit that subscribe button. Smash it here. Smash it. We're going to be back here tomorrow um, and we're going to build this channel. We're going to build this community. We're going to try to take more of your comments here because it like basically we're realizing it works really well in YouTube. And the last thing I just got to say this because Danny Moses does watch Market Call um, every so often. Here's DJ Chapman again. Can you chart the SPX versus Danny Moses NFL picks 2021 bottom left, upper right, 2022 upper left, bottom right in the back. I love it. I mean, listen, you know, guy, you've done a nice job. You you were riding Danny Moses all 20, uh, 2021, 2022, um, you know, on the way up. He was, what, 27-4 and four versus the line in the NFL. And this year, I think you've been saying he has been a pedestrian 50%. Yeah. Here. So, again, let's I see love, what he can You know do. I love Danny. Yeah. You love Danny. Thanks, DJ. Listen, Chapman. we love this audience, and, and I, I mean it. You know, I take all criticism. I, I love it. So good and bad, I'm here for it. But that's it for today's market call. Great Ranger win last night. Giants in Philadelphia on a Saturday night. Does it get any better than that? No. Um, but that was market call. I want to thank CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. FactSet, our data provider. Financial data and analytics, Dan, powered by tomorrow. We will be powered tomorrow because Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting will be joining us. We'll see you later, folks. All right, see you guys. Thanks.